I want you, if you would, to open with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're doing a study through 1 and 2 Timothy, and I intend to, Lord willing, finish chapter 1 tonight. So if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read verses 17 through 20. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now unto the king, immortal, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory, I'm sorry, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, so this is the end of of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, The theme of this whole epistle, these pastoral epistles, one of the themes is the sound doctrine, holding fast to sound doctrine, holding to the faith. And it gives order in the church, and it gives order, Paul gives by the Holy Spirit order and how things are to be in the church. But here in verse 17 is a wonderful scripture. Paul has been talking prior to this on several occasions in verse 13 and again in verse 16. He says, before I was a persecutor of the church, before I came to know Christ, I was a blasphemer. Before I came to the Lord, I was anti-Christian and against God and the things of God. But he says, but I obtained mercy. Obtained mercy, first of all, he said, because he did it ignorantly. And in verse 16, he says, uh, for this cause I obtained mercy. He says it again, that in me first Jesus Christ might might show forth uh, all longsuffering for a pattern to them which hereafter believe. In other words, he, God set him forth. There's lots of people that have wonderful testimonies and, and are examples of what Christ can do in a life. That would be all of us. But the Lord set him forth forth in a, for, in a specific way to be a pattern or a model that would be like a, uh, it would be like a sample, so to speak. That's what the word means, a pattern, to, to show that if the Lord can save me, who is the persecutor of the church, and turn my life around and make me an apostle of grace, an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a minister to the Gentiles, he can do it for anybody. This is a pattern. Okay, he's like a poster child held up, and a wonderful one he is at that. And then he just bursts into this. We covered that last week in verse 17. He just stops basically all of his doctrinal things that he's talking about, and he says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This was a praise in his heart. It was praise that rose up from his heart unto the Lord. And the first thing he's talking about here is our king, okay? He is, he, we have a different king than this world. We don't bow down to the God of this world. We have a king. The three Hebrew boys didn't bow down to the king and his idol that he stood up. They bowed down to only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Uh, and so uh, Paul is exhorting and exalting and praising the 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 king that we have. Now unto the king. When Paul was preaching in, in uh, Thessalonica, there were, the Jews got, the unbelieving Jews stirred up a mob and like they did more than once. And they came against Paul and, and accused him. And their accusation was that this man, Paul, is decreeing, 
is uh, making decrees contrary to Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Well, he absolutely was doing that. If that's the accusation, then let it be that there, there's another king besides Caesar. He's the one king, the Lord Jesus. And he's praising that king here. And three things he said, says about him at the beginning of verse 17. He says that he is the king eternal, he is the king immortal, and he is the, uh, he is the invisible. Okay? And so I just want to touch on these very quickly. The king eternal, it simply means he's the king of the ages. It, it ties in with the next script, next about being immortal. But he is the king of ages, and he is immortal. Immortal actually means he has no end. It means he's incorruptible. If you look up the word immortal, what does it mean? It means incorruptible, imperishable. He's just, he stays the same. These bodies corrupt and decay. One day we're going to receive a body like the Lord Jesus' body that's incorruptible. Okay, this corruptible must put on incorruptible. But he is the king eternal. He is the king immortal. I want to read what Jeremiah says. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth trembles and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. And so he, he, he praises him. Anybody that truly knows the Lord knows that he is this king. He is this king, eternal, immortal, invisible. We know the scripture that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It says the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of, and of the increase of his government and kingdom, there's going to be no end. No end. It's an everlasting kingdom. Daniel praised this God whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And he's an everlasting king. And even Moses says, uh, O Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in, in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. That's one of the characteristics about the Lord. He is eternal. He is immortal. He is incorruptible. Even his word is incorruptible. Isn't that what Peter says, that we were born again? By the incorruptible word of God. That's how we were saved, by believing in Christ. And this last thing, invisible, uh, that it says he's king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Invisible uh, simply is speaking about the fact that God is a spirit. And Jesus said in John 4, 24, The hour cometh and now is where the true worshipers must worship the Father in spirit and truth. For God is a spirit, Right? And he seeketh those to worship him in spirit and in truth. When it says it's invisible, we know that God can manifest, and he has. Throughout the history of man, he has manifest himself in visible ways that, God could, that man could see. But still, that's speaking about uh, him being a spirit, and he can choose to robe himself and manifest himself as an angel, uh, this, this uh, that appeared to, to Abraham and so forth. And the clearest representation of this invisible God is Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. Uh, every, everything spoke and pointed to that. The Bible says God in different times and different manners spake in times past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by him, his son. And he goes on to say, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and uphold, upholding all things by the word of his power. That's Jesus. The clearest picture of God is God incarnate 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. An invisible God made himself visible uh, to men. Amen. And so I praise God for that. But this is the king that I said Paul just praised him for his mercy. He praised him for his grace that was shown to him. He did not receive the judgment and punishment that he should have. But none of us has received the, the punishment that we should have in the judgment. We've received mercy from the hand of a merciful God. Amen. And grace. And it ought to be, when I was just studying this, it ought to be not just Paul's bursting out in this exaltation of the Lord in praise. It ought to be in our hearts and in our mouths as well to praise God in such a way as that. So I want to move on to verse 18. So Paul gives Timothy a charge. Remember, Timothy is his young disciple. Uh, Timothy grew up knowing the scriptures from a, whole, from a child. He knew the Holy Scriptures from his mother and grandmother. And Paul met him and took him under his wing and discipled him. And he was called to be, Timothy was called to be a minister of the gospel. Okay? And so uh, Paul says in, in verse 18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So a charge simply means, this charge simply means a commandment, okay, or a mandate. There was a, there was a charge or a commandment or a mandate that Paul committed. Well, what does it mean that he committed to him? It means he deposited it. He deposited this. It's like, it was like he was just a reservoir and he just, Paul put this charge, this commandment, and deposited it into Timothy. This, he made him fully responsible for this. He deposited all the responsibilities of being a faithful minister of God in, into and unto Timothy. Okay? So what is the charge? Well, we don't, it would be everything. It would be everything that God called him to do, the commandment. But I think it certainly would include this. Look back at verse 3. What is the charge that Paul deposited to Timothy? First, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That will be one of the responsibilities or the, or the, the charges that were committed to Timothy. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 5 as well. Verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That, so the charge would, would have included these things as well. But what is he talking about when he says the charge, uh, and back in verse 18, according to the prophecies which went before thee. Okay, so I want you to keep your spot and just look over to chapter 4, verse 14. We'll get to this eventually, but look at chapter 4, verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery, presbytery, so the, of the leadership. And so he's telling him, don't neglect the gifts that were given you. What were the gifts? We don't know exactly. The gift, I think, certainly would include his call to be a minister of the gospel. When, when, when men ordain men, churches ordain men to the, to the gospel ministry, they're doing it on the behalf of the Lord. And they put their hands and they lay hands, the elders and the leadership. The whole church might do it as well. But there's someone who is a minister already that's been ordained that puts their hands on that 
one that's not yet a minister but is called by God to be one, and they lay hands and they, they confer all this responsibility and privilege and calling that God's already called them to. They make it official, so to speak. And this is what Paul says here, that presbytery, the leader, the elders of the church, they lay their hands on you. Don't forget that. Okay, and don't neglect the gifts. I think the gift could have been also the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he received when, they, when hands were laid upon him. But I would think it included all of that. If the elders of the church are laying hands on young Timothy, I believe that he would have been a spirit-filled man, if not before at that, man, that moment he would have been. And also the, the calling, it, the calling from God. God has to do the calling he makes it known to other believers, okay? You know how the Bible says, know those that labor among you? I've said it all the time. If, if you know, Reynolds called to, to be a, a minister of the gospel, and we've been in church with Reynolds for years, and we've seen how the Lord, I'm just picking him for an example, the Lord uses him to, to, to minister. We ought to recognize that gift, he would have to know he's called by the Lord. And if he came and says, you know, Randy, I, I, Pastor, I feel like the Lord's called me to the ministry. I wouldn't be like, what are you talking about? I've never seen any of that evidence at all. No, I mean, we, we would say, I've seen that. I, I can see that. I believe that's the Lord. You know what I'm saying? We, we would recognize it. And so this is what, uh, when when. Paul uh, commits this charge, and when the presbytery laid their hands, this is the prophecy that he's talking about. And this, these prophecies that were given, that he speaks of, were to encourage. Okay, In other words, Timothy remembering this, these prophecies that were spoken over him and to him when the elders laid their hands on him, that was to encourage him. It says that thou by them might war, war a good warfare. And so what is the warfare that we're talking about? Well, if you've been saved for any length of time at all, you know that there's a warfare. You know that there's a battle. You know that Satan is desired, like the Lord told uh, Simon, the, Satan is desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that what? I always think about it. What specifically did the Lord pray for Simon? It was the night before you know, Peter was, Peter was going to betray the Lord, right? He didn't think he would, but he did. Uh, he said, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. Satan is always after your faith. That's not, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but if he can attack your faith and get you to doubt the word of God, the promises of God, do, is evolution true or is a, a creation account true in six days? And he can get you to doubt these things or God is good, but he's not good to you. Right? God answers these prayers for people, but he won't do it for you. He's left you out, and he's moved on to other people. These are doubts. Satan is after your faith. We need to recognize the attacks and schemes. We're in a war, we're in a, it, it, and we have, we're assured of victory, but we're still in the war. We're not fighting in order to hopefully win. The victory's already assured because Christ won the victory. But he has set us here to fight. He said that we're delivered over to death daily. We're always delivered over to death, Paul says, that the life of Christ may be manifest in our mortal bodies. Satan's coming against us. Paul's being stoned. He's being shipwrecked. 
Uh, he's being thrown out of town. He's being thrown into prison. He's being lied about. He's being falsely accused. And guess what? Jesus, there's a treasure in that earthen vessel that is showing forth the glory of God. But Paul still has to walk through it. And so do you. Maybe not to that extent. We have all have different lives. But that is the nature that the Lord sends us forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. And we are in a warfare. And so whether or not you want to participate is not really the point. You better participate. You're in it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, even to the pulling down of strongholds, right? And so they're mighty through God. We're in a warfare. We need to see it as a warfare. Uh, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of the devil. He is not your friend. I don't care how he comes in. I'll give you success if you do this. You know, I'll make your life easy if you do this. He's not your friend. He came to steal, kill, and destroy if you're born again, he wants your faith, and he wants your testimony, he wants to rat, run it in the mud so that people that are watching your life will say, well, that, that Christ thing didn't really work out very good for, for Randy, did it? He wants to ruin our faith and get our eyes off of the Lord. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual warfare could manifest itself in physical ways, but it is a spiritual warfare. And so our enemy, your enemy and mine, the Bible says the devil means adversary. Satan means adversary. I think that's the definition of the word. Of the word. He has declared war on you, and he has declared war on me. And so we have peace. You say, well, there will be no peace in that. We have peace with God. Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. God and I are okay. We're good. We've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus. And we'll have the peace of God that Paul talks about in Philippians. We bring our requests to the Lord with thanksgiving. We let them, know, we let them be known to God. And, and, and God gives us peace even in the midst of the turmoil. In the midst of our enemy, who's a very formidable, formidable foe coming against our lives, we have the peace within. But we don't have peace with the devil. We haven't made peace with him. We have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, those in Revelation, and loving love not our lives unto death. We, we resist the devil. We don't give place to the devil. We're not ignorant of his devices and schemes. We are actively in a battle. And it may look like that wasn't the devil, but maybe it was the devil. We need to understand his, his ways. I just felt down today. I didn't feel like going to church today, so I stayed home. Uh, I just felt like, and all these things, well, it, certainly we just have our flesh that, that's right there cooperating. But a lot of times the devil is trying to whisper, it's not doing you any good to pray. Has God answered your prayer yet, that big prayer you've been praying for? really not doing you any good. You need some sleep. God knows you're sleepy. Don't pray today. Just sleep in. And our flesh says, okay. But by faith, we say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm rising up. I will, he tells me to pray without ceasing. Ceasing, he tells me men ought always to pray and not to faint. He says, whatever we ask believing, we're going to receive when we ask according to his will. Maybe it hadn't happened yet, but keep praying. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't recognize that as being our enemy, but sometimes, not always, sometimes it is just our flesh, but the, the devil wants to entice our flesh, 
and, and he's after your faith. So we are in a warfare. And so we, we need to wear, war a good warfare like Timothy. It says, by these prophecies that were laying on the hands and the gifts that you receive, by those things, fight a good fight, he's saying. War a good warfare. And so we take bruises and bumps and blows from the devil, but we're not defeated. We're cast down but not destroyed, right? Isn't that what Paul says? He knew if all people that knew what it meant to, to go through the ringer, so to speak, not because of his sin, but because of his righteousness at the hands of the devil, he knew what it was like to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he says, we're, we're cast down, but we're not destroyed. We're cast down. It's real. He was stoned. He was put in prison. He lost his friends. He lost his uh, position among the Jews and so forth. And yet, he says, I haven't really, I, I counted all as dung that I might win Christ. He was cast down, but he wasn't destroyed. And there's no difference in Paul and us when it comes to that. So what is a good soldier? And y'all, we also are going to receive eternal crowns for the things that we do for Jesus. The things that are by faith and that are done in, in accordance to his word and will. And that we, we really did it for God's glory. There's soul winning crowns. There are things that we're going to receive and Satan can't touch those. Satan can't touch your, your righteousness. He can't touch your eternal home. He can't touch your relationship with God. He can't touch, uh, he can't touch the rewards that the Lord has set up for you and reserved for you in heaven. He can't touch the streets of gold that you're going to walk on, okay, and the incorruptible body that you're going to have. And so in the warfare, we're to fight as good soldiers. So what is a good soldier in, in Jesus' name? In that warfare, what is a good soldier? And these are just some things I jotted down, but a good soldier is going to be alert, right? He's going to be sleeping on, his, on the, the job. When he's supposed to be guarding the camp, he's going to be guarding the camp. He's not sleeping. A good soldier is going to be alert. He's, if you're guarding your home, if you're guarding your own uh, heart, okay, we have things to guard. God helps us to do it, but a good soldier is going to be alert. You're going to be guarding your marriage. You're going to be guarding your, your, uh, your children. You're going to be guarding your church and things like this, and you're guarding your own heart. So a good soldier is always going to be alert. He's always going to be obedient to his commander-in-chief. Captain of our salvation is Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. A good soldier is going to be wise. He's going to be courageous. He's going to be well-trained. He's going to be devoted to the cause. He's not just a hireling. He's, he's invested in this, right? Your walk with God and defending the faith and so forth. We're invested in this. It's not because, well, I'll get off at 6 and I won't be a Christian after that anymore. We're in it for keeps, okay? We're all in, like the scripture up there tonight, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So a good soldier is going to be devoted to the Lord, devoted to the cause. I'm all in. If you, if you kill me, you kill me, but I'll just have eternal life with Jesus. I'm all in, okay? I'm not, I'm not wavering. I'm not on the fence. You, there's no price that can buy me out of this thing. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I'm in. I'm in all the way. If he calls me home in five seconds or 50 years from now, I'm his. And so a good soldier is, is loyal and devoted. And a good soldier is actively engaged in the, in the fight. We don't take breaks. 
God will give us a break when he wants us to rest for a little while. You know, there, when, after John the Baptist was beheaded, the Lord took his disciples apart for a little while just to rest. Without the multitudes and the people clamoring to be healed and screaming and hollering, and son of David, have mercy on me, and, and uh, I'm blind and I want to see. And the Lord touched all those people. But there was a time he also took those disciples apart to catch their breath and to rest. They knew John. Some of them were John's own disciples. It was a big event when John the Baptist was beheaded. He took them apart for a little while to rest. Okay? And I'm simply saying, but, but in, if God does that, he God does that. But as long as we're here on this earth, we are soldiers of the Lord. Not some of us, all of us. And we're to be actively involved in what the Lord's called us to. Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. This is right before he's beheaded. Next, next epistle. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. Okay? And so he, he, he knew what was coming from the Lord. He had done what God called him to do. So let's, let's finish these last couple of verses real quickly tonight. Let's look at verses, uh, verse 19 and 20. These two, holding faith. So he's, this is still part of the charge that he's committed to Timothy. Holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Well, let's just talk about that for a moment. Part of this charge would be to hold the faith, okay? And Jude says this. You don't have to turn there. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common, common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend. There's warfare. Warfare that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's part of this. When he says that hold fast the faith, holding the faith in verse 19, and a good conscience. Good conscience. I said there's six, six times in these epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, six times uh, Paul mentions conscience. Our conscience that we have it's a moral consciousness is really what it what it is but we're to have a good conscience the bible says our, con our consciences can be defiled they can be polluted in, in a moral sense they can be polluted just dirtied up and defiled the conscience can be defiled uh consciences conscience can become seared and i always say like with, with a hot iron if you took an iron and touched or i think of a, a cow being branded right and they, they, they put this red-hot poker on the cow's hide to mark who it belongs to. It stings, it burns, the cow may let out a moo, and it hurts for, for a while, then it goes away. Some point, very shortly, that's going to heal up, and that's going to be very hard. That part where the brand is, probably harder and less sensitive, I would say insensitive, right, than any other part of their body. And so uh, conscience can become seared. So it says here to holding the faith in a good conscience, all right, a good conscience. And so we have to stay true to the Lord, to his word. You and I have to keep a clear conscience before the Lord. We need to not fool ourselves. We not to, need not to fool ourselves into thinking we're something more mature or spiritual or godly than we really are. I'm not saying you're not godly. I'm simply saying we, know, we ought to have a right estimation of ourselves before the Lord. 
with you and Jesus, okay? The Bible says to examine yourself, and this to me would be part of keeping a clear conscience. Staying in the Word, staying in prayer where the Holy Ghost can talk to you and your Good Shepherd can talk to you, staying on your face before the Lord. And y'all, as soon as He makes you aware or me aware of a sin, you have to run tell somebody, as soon as He makes you aware of a sin in your life, confess it to God. Don't say, well, I'll deal with that after the weekend or, or whatever. Be quick. This is part of keeping a good conscience. It's where you're staying, uh, staying with no uh, hindrance or wall between you and your Savior. Okay? Keep it. So confess our sins quickly to God. And then he says, okay, this is what I want you to do, Timothy. In the first, second half of verse 19, hold fast the faith and a good conscience, which some... And he's going to list two people in just a moment. Some having put away concerning the faith have made shipwreck. So I didn't, I looked up shipwreck. You know what it means? It means shipwreck. It means just that what it sounds like, okay? Some people have made shipwreck of their faith. So this is interesting when it says some have put away. That word put away. So they put away the faith. They put away a good conscience. They didn't keep a good conscience before the Lord. But that word put away actually means to reject. It means they, to despise. So it's not just something that's uh, almost like benign and it just sort of slipped away. Okay, I didn't guard my heart the way I should, and it just sort of slipped away from me somehow over time. That's not the picture that's given here. The picture that's given here is some put this away. They put away the faith. That means they rejected. They despised. They thrust away. They actually beat away. That's one of the definitions. So it's like some, something is coming, and, and they're actually beating away the faith. They have t- rejected, is my point. This is a clear, conscious rejection of, of the faith. And so they thrust it away. That's one of the definitions. Evidently, they were at some point in the faith. And I'm not going to preach the whole message tonight. I'm just going to make this point. They were in the faith, and then they despised it and thrust it away. And they made shipwreck their faith, okay? So they didn't keep a clear conscience. I'm going to read from this commentary just that thought right there, and we'll cover one more verse. Paul points out that there are some who, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. That is, they trampled on their own conscience. I said, if God's dealing with you about something and you feel a conviction and you feel that you feel this is wrong, but you do it anyway, you feel this is right, but you don't do it. And you're going against your own conscience that God has given you when you have a healthy conscience that God gave you for a purpose. Okay, Uh, they trampled on their own conscience. They had their own way instead of following God's will. And because of following self-will and the desires of their own fleshly heart, they found themselves in the midst of spiritual shipwreck. They loved sin. They followed the leadings of the flesh. They yielded to passion. They indulged in carnal things. And by so doing, eventually renounced the truth of the gospel. They were unfaithful to God. They rejected the true gospel and submitted their own erroneous teaching. They, therefore, concerning the faith... We're shipwrecked, okay? I thought that was, was worth reading because I think it gives a good picture. So let's look at the last verse. He names two people, real-life examples, 
Timothy, you hold faith, faith and a good conscience. Here's some that didn't do that, and here's where they ended up. Their faith was shipwrecked. Okay, not that they went bankrupt or lost their business, or their faith was shipwrecked, which is even way more important. Verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? Okay, so who are these two people? I'm just going to read as much as I have about them very quickly. In fact, I want you to turn with me. Keep your spot marked there. It's our last verse for tonight. 2 Timothy, verses chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. 2 Timothy 2, 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus. That's the same guy that's mentioned in, in the chapter we're reading. And Philetus, who I'm not sure, he's not, not the other guy that's mentioned. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So not only did these people uh, reject and beat away their own faith, okay, in the Lord and make shipwreck of their faith. They preached a false gospel and teachings. Evidently, it had to do with the resurrection. They said the resurrection's already passed. They were telling people that. Now, we know the resurrection hasn't passed. There's going to be a rapture first, okay, and then there's a resurrection of the just and a resurrection for the unjust, and that's still future, Okay, but they were teaching this, and evidently, not only was their faith shipwrecked, it says they've made other people's faith shipwrecked. There are people that listened to them and gave heed to them. So what does it mean when it says right here, uh, in the end of this chapter, you can turn back to 1 Timothy 1.20, Hymenaeus and Alexander, Alexander uh, could be Alexander the coppersmith that was mentioned in uh, he was mentioned in Ephesus as his, Paul says he did me much evil. Okay, the Lord reward him according to his works. All right, he just put him gave him to the Lord. Let's close with this thought: Whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. That is an interesting kind of phrase. It makes you wonder: What does Paul mean? What does God's word mean when he says this man, Paul, an apostle of the Lord, delivered two men who were false teachers, not only shipwrecked their own faith, but were guilty of shipwrecking other people's faith. What does it mean when Paul, he says that I have delivered them unto Satan? What does that mean? I mean, it sounds pretty extreme, doesn't it? To deliver them unto Satan. I think the thought here that's, that's taught, and I see it in one other passage that we're going to read, is that the, the idea was not a matter of damnation. Paul was not damning them, okay? That's between them and the Lord, okay? What he is saying is a matter of chastisement. It was a matter of, of corrective measure, I guess you would say. I delivered them to, unto Satan. The idea is to preserve the purity of the church. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira died. When they lied to the Holy Ghost, they conspired together, premeditated to lie to the Holy Ghost. It wasn't just Peter they lied to. They were lying to God, okay? And they both dropped dead. Well, that's pretty severe. Yes, it is severe, but God gave that for an example to maintain purity in the church. That's the thought. 
That's the idea. And so what, what it means here, as I've studied, is it means Paul withdrew fellowship from them. He didn't withdraw fellowship from Timothy or Titus or these others that were men of, of God and women of God, they, even if they sinned and repented and so forth. But these two people made shipwreck their faith and others' faith. They taught and were continuing to teach false doctrines. Paul withdrew fellowship from them, first of all, and he put them outside of the church, so to speak. In other words, he put them out of the church and uh, that they may learn not to blaspheme, he says. So someone who is openly expressing views concerning divine truth and the views that they're expressing concerning thus saith the Lord when it's not the Lord, when it's contrary to the fundamentals of the faith. I think that's the key thing here. They go against the fundamentals of the faith of Christ. And, and they are to be put out. If they continue, if they don't receive a rebuke and so forth, and, and don't receive instruction, these people were, were making shipwreck of other people's faith. And so uh, I want you to read this, and then we're going to close. Turn to 1 Corinthians, because I want to read an example of this. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 6. You know, I've thought about this and studying through. When you choose to, or led by the Lord, to pick a book of the Bible and start studying it and preaching it to the church, you're going to come across things that may be more difficult than others. And we can't be scared of that. It's like studying the book of Revelation. I mean, it's deep. You're like, what does this mean? And here's one of those things that, uh, one of those things that we need to take time and study it. What is the point of it? What is he really saying when he says, I turn him over to Satan? He's saying, I broke fellowship with him and I put him outside of the church. What's the whole purpose, though? That he may learn, right? Learn not to blaspheme. The whole thought, please keep this in mind, is that the Alexander and Hymenaeus would repent, that they would come back to God. You know what? Because they could come back to God. And we tried this, and we tried this, and we tried this, and we tried this, and they didn't listen. So we're going to do this. We're going to put them outside. But the, still the hope is, oh, God, bring them to repentance. Repentance and restoration. So I want you to read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. That was the type of fornication that was going on, both in the church, okay, both parties. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from you. For I verily, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of, of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? That, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So even to, this is merciful. It's extreme, but their sin is extreme. And maybe they've been rebuked, rebuked, talked to, called into the pastor's office, had a group of believers go to them, talk 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 to them, and they refuse. And they, they're stubborn, and they're rebellious, and they just persist on. 
we don't have anything else to do. Oh, there is something else we can do. For their own good, we're putting them outside. Number one, they're not going to bring any more shipwreck anybody else's faith in our church, okay? And also that they would bring, come to a place that they repent and don't lose their souls in salvation. Do you all understand that? So it is extreme, but that is the whole idea. So I'm going to close with this thought, and D, you can come. Just based on what we talked about tonight, the charge that was committed from Paul to Timothy and, and uh, these, this charge to remain faithful, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that ye may be blameless and harmless. This is all of us. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. And I just look at that, that's a charge for me. That's a charge for believers. We're to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. How do we, where do we live? We live in the midst of a, a crooked and perverse nation. That's a generation, a crooked and perverse generation. You see it? Do you see the perversion around you? You know, we do see it, right? It's crooked and perverse. But he says, you're to be blameless and harmless. Same thing he's charging Timothy to do. And he says, holding forth the word of life. I don't think it's just sticking your Bible out there. I think it's preaching it and living it. Holding forth the word of life. Amen. It says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so that's just a charge for us. He's going to play. The altars are open. Take just a moment tonight and come and, and pray that, that God would, would make us those faithful ministers. Even if you're not a full-time minister, you are a minister of the Lord. And that we would be blameless and harmless to the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Father, we just pray that. We pray that for our lives. I pray that for our church, God. Lord, that we would rightly, rightly represent you in this hour that we would earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's part of our responsibility, God. And by the weapons of our warfare and by the power of the Holy Ghost and in prayer, help us to war a good warfare and be good and faithful soldiers unto you, Lord Jesus. We praise you and we thank you, Lord.